Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello and welcome to episode 69. Hello and welcome to... He's getting ep- excited about episode 69 coming up and just can't contain himself. Hello and welcome to episode 68. Tonight's show is brought to you by Saddest Show Ever. First, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week is brought to you by tissues. And uh, handkerchiefs. And handkerchiefs. So, I finished up my elk hunt unsuccessfully last week after we recorded when I was home. Then I came back from my hunt and it was very obvious that my little dog, Marley, was not doing so great. And because he had kidney failure, wasn't going to do great again. So on Monday, we had to euthanize our dog, which makes this the saddest show ever. So outside of unsuccessful elk hunting and euthanizing my dog, I haven't done anything cool this week. None of that was cool, but I haven't done anything else this week. How old was Marley? 15. 15. And I'd had him for 14 years. Okay. And he what? Uh, he was a terrier of some type, correct? Or no? Yeah, Jack Russell Terrier. Okay. Full. So the full story is I worked at a shop. One of my coworkers got divorced. And neither coworker nor ex had a schedule that could support having a dog. But together, they had schedules that allowed a dog. So... He was like, hey, uh, my ex-wife is looking for somebody that uh, might want a dog. You want a dog? And I was like, ah, sure. And it was like really spontaneous, and I like really didn't want a dog. <laughs> uh, but He's a pretty cool dog. But <laughs> something just was like, sure. And like she dropped him off at the shop the next day, or that day. And, uh, well, 14 years, two states, a gazillion moves, a few different bike shops, and uh, yeah. He was a pretty awesome little dog. Uh, so, but he was like fully, oh, where I was going with that, like he was fully papered Jack Russell Terrier. Like his dad, like I have paperwork for him somewhere, and like his dad's name is like, you know. Four names long. Scruffy McTerrier Shireson or some shit like that, you know. like Something fancy. Yeah. His name is like Scruffy McShire Terrierson the fourth. <laughs> Champion. Does he have a CH in there that that means he was a champion of some sort? I don't know. I, I I'll report back for next show. All right. I'll like get it out and read it on air. Okay. That's my week. Yeah, and my my week's kind of followed the same uh, pattern, so I don't really have a lot to talk about. We did go for a good squirrel hunt. Um, after after that, we went and hung out in the woods. You know, you gotta like go out in the woods and ugly cry in the woods a little bit and hunt squirrels and. Just kind of hang around and enjoy nature. and Yeah, at one point I was just like absolutely standing in the sun like ugly crying and then a squirrel chattered and like we went and like found it and then Andrea was like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, I was just ugly crying a minute ago and he didn't notice. <laughs> so that was our week. Kenny, hopefully you have something yeah, Kenny, a little bit a more. Better we week. really need you to carry we, this yeah, show. Yeah, we need you to, to, to carry the mood here, like bring us back. Uh. <laughs> so uh, I did some cool stuff. I went to St. George and did a classic Salt Lake City winter mountain bike ride, which means leave Salt Lake City and go to St. George because it's amazing there. And it was 60 degrees and nice. super fun and awesome. So I've probably what talked. did you ride? I've talked about it for probably the 400th time on this show. But yeah, that's what we do in the winter is we go to St. George. We rode 
the Zen Trail, which is a classic. It is very uh, kind of relentless, rocky, techy. Nothing of like big consequence. Just it's relentless. It is lifting the bars over a hundred thousand curbs. That's basically it. Cool. I've ridden that trail. We. I, that sounds like fun. I rode that, right? You rode that yeah. trail. Yes, you did. Well, I just asked Kenny because Kenny and I talked about it extensively. Okay. Anyway, so rode Zen Trail and then rode Bear Claw Poppy and some of the other connector stuff over there, all the usual suspects. And everything was really fun. Uh, I did crash on the Zen Trail. There's a lot of, we rode that Bear Claw Poppy and the other connector trail first. And it's really powdery. It's like talcum powder and it gets in everything and it immediately affects your pedals and you just can't unclip. It's, oh, that's, it's that's the shitty. damnedest thing. It's, it, it's crazy and it happens every time. So I just get kind of used to it. It's just harder to clip out of your pedals. But I was climbing up one of the techie parts of Zen and I stalled out and fell over. And unfortunately, I fell off the mountain and <laughs> yeah, I was still clipped into my bike and I took a couple of maybe a couple tumbles. I'm not really sure. The bike hit everything. I, I hit every... <laughs> it looked like a cartoon. I hit every rock. There was not a rock... Do you have a video of it? ...around me. No, unfortunately, I don't. Because we, oh, okay. we ride it all the time, and I just I just screwed up and stalled out, and I committed to it, and I committed a little too hard, and <laughs> then I couldn't get out of my pedal, and I fell off the mountain. So I was fine, generally. Like, I bruised myself up. But surprisingly enough, like, zero zero blood which is rare in the rocks. But, you know, I hit, like, my hip and, like, my thigh and tweaked an ankle and banged up an elbow. God, you're like an old person that fell down in the shower. Pretty much is what <laughs> happened. But I hit every part of the bike, so all my nice stuff is scratched. Both brake levers, oh. like... Oh, no. The tops of both of my gold brake levers are hammered. Both brake levers somehow. I don't even know how that's possible. Uh... The Mike mainframe, the chainstay, the swing arm, or the chainstay seat stay, uh, probably some other stuff. I think the fork. So, yep. You got your stanchions? No, just the outside of the fork. Oh, that's good. Just the lowers. That's just cosmetic. What about the old robots? Uh, I fell to the left, and then it went like up and over, and then I ended up upside down with the bike still connected to me. Turtle, <laughs> like a turtle. Beetle. Yeah, yeah. Jeff like had Jeff had to like pull the bike off of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh camelback did a oh. great job like it was an awesome back protector i was just kind of sitting there on my back after it happened like kind of half laughing like well that sucked <laughs> and i didn't realize that i hit everything on the bike uh destroyed my wahoo um jesus christ Damn. yeah there's nothing on that bike that i that did not hit the ground <laughs> so it was like one of those very low consequence wrecks that actually turned out to be very high consequence and high cost <laughs> yes exactly i'm fine the bicycle is not as fine, but it's all cosmetic. It's all just scratches. Not a big deal. But yeah, right. that was fun. And then the next day we rode uh, Wire Mesa and Guacamole, which is in the Virgin area. Uh, maybe I've ridden Guacamole then. You rode Guacamole and you rode Zen. You have ridden both. Okay. Because I know that I did. I'm sorry. And I just said Guacamole. Jesus, I am screwing everything up right now and confusing a lot of people. I rode Gooseberry, if I didn't say that right. I rode Wire Mesa and Th Gooseberry, which are like That's what I've written. semi -connected. I've written Gooseberry. Yes, you rode Gooseberry. That's the one that all the way towards the end when you're almost at that lookout point, it's got that crazy crux move where you have to like climb clean up the face of that boulder. 
where it's like a probably two foot vertical into a 15 or 20 foot tall boulder. And you just have to like throw your bike at it and then put out a thousand watts or you fall backwards and die. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, we talked about that one. And there's like a really cool tree that you have to like miss yes. to make that move. Yep. Yeah. And I remember you were like, "There's no way you rode that." And I was like, "Yeah, I just rode it." And it turns out I probably just got really lucky. <laughs> like Sometimes I was, like I was riding first, with Jonathan Davis, though. Yeah, like the first try stuff. And okay, yeah. So first off, if you're following Jonathan Davis, he rides everything, no matter what bike he is on. He will ride every single feature of the trail and ride the A line of every single feature of the trail. So excellent. For one, you gotta you have to watch out. Because if you don't want to ride the A-line on everything, you definitely shouldn't just blindly follow him. But if you do want to just go by the like local knowledge hammer, just follow right behind him and see what happens, that's the kind of shit that would happen. Because he would just ride up to that and ride it because, for one, he puts out like a million watts all the time. Maybe not that much, but... No, he can always make the same amount of watts. It's just how much does he sweat and then later complain. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's like old man power 100%. And he's also an extremely good technical rider. So he would just, that's the type of thing that if you were following him, you wouldn't know that you were approaching. No, no. We like stopped and looked at it. Oh, and then okay. he just like wrote it and made it look easy. And I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And I like wrote it. And then his son Tanner is also like, just like dad. Yeah, I mean, he's a mini-me of his dad. You know, he could, like, carry a house around all day and then go ride for two hours after not riding for six months. Yeah. But that's a fun but section. Yeah, so- I have cleared that uh, once on the analog bike on the Stumpy, and I have cleared it on the Levo. But, yeah, this is one of those days where I was like, I don't know if we were also tired pretty far into the ride, but, yeah. Both Jeff and I looked at each other and we're like, nope, not today. <laughs> I don't I don't feel like eating any more shit. But yeah, the rest of that trail is insanely fun. So for those that are not aware, uh, by the way, Gooseberry is getting way bigger in popularity. Used to be you would maybe see, even on a Saturday or Sunday, you would see one or two cars out there. And now the parking lots are like full. So it's probably from people like us talking about it. It's a great trail. Super cool, super unique. It's like you're on the freaking moon. And but don't go there. Yeah, but don't go there. No, you should totally go there. It's super fun. There's plenty of space for everybody. I mean, we saw 20 different people on bikes, but like it's insanely easy to get out of the way. Anyway, super fun place. It is a gigantic technical playground. I think it's rated as like something goofy that's not really true. It's rated as like a red or something silly, but it's basically think of it as a solid black diamond trail pretty much for the whole length of it with definitely some blue sections and there definitely there's a couple of like double black little crux sections in there but nothing of humongous consequence for the most part if you fuck up you're gonna like fall down on a giant smooth slab rock and like maybe go sliding down that rock a little bit and like you could fall off certain things and like fall in a weird way but you're not gonna generally go flying off a mountain there's not nasty jaggy rocks you're not going 30 miles an hour there's no shoots. Um, there's no crazy descents. It's all like small move trialsy stuff. Yeah. I would say like, you know, you ride something like, uh, what is that trail in Moab? Hangover where you could like fall off and die. Uh, no, that is Portal. 
Yeah, like you know, you can just you, you can literally die on the portal trail. Well, I mean, you can die anywhere. Yeah, like there there have been well, lots of people have died people. on the portal trail. Like yeah. more than one or two people. I think it's like yeah. tens of people have died yeah. on portal trail. There's there's a sign there, and it's like you should get off and walk. People have died on this next rock, and it's really like it's a if there wasn't a 500 foot cliff next to this rock, you would probably most people would try at least try to ride it and. A lot of people would ride it, no problem. But if you fuck up and you go to put a foot down, you put your foot down on the highway literally 500 feet below you. you Tell you what's wrong with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but what I was going to say, like, Gooseberry, you're going eight miles an hour and you fall down and you, like, break your finger or, like, lose all the skin on your elbow. Yeah, exactly. You're going to, worst case is you fall over and you catch a knee on a rock and you, like, split your knee open and it bleeds. Like, you'll be fine. Basically, this trail, for the most part, it's going to be stitches is the worst thing that's going to happen to you for the most part. I've definitely been with some people who have gotten stitches on that trail. But yeah, totally go try it. It's super fun. And that's why it's cool, because it's techie and it's challenging and hard, but not like... Kind of like uh, like Silimo. No, Great for gravel bikes. No huge consequences. And you can sit there and play on a million different features. And you can make up your own lines. Like they're, You're not like screwing up the trail. There are places where you can get creative... And it's super fun to go off where like nobody else rides and go like link up some cool downhill thing that's just like all one giant rock slab. And that stuff is everywhere. And there's a thousand alternate lines and it's just fun. Super, super cool trail. Yeah, like it is worth great. It's worth traveling to do. Definitely be a competent mountain bike rider. But I've been there with people who have a good attitude and are very beginner riders. And yeah, they had to walk a hundred different small sections but they had fun for most of it. And they got like the degree to which they got better just at the end of a two hour ride was unbelievable. Like they were riding most everything. I mean, eventually you get tired of stopping to walk. (laughs) Yeah. Just kind of like, you're like, well, I'm just going to try this and see what happens because I'm tired of getting off my fucking bike. Yeah. So really fun trail. I think it's worth traveling. Even if you just did this one trail, that one is worth traveling to do. And then semi connected to that, uh, Probably five miles down the fire road is a trail called Wire Mesa. And it's a, I don't know how long it is. Maybe it's like a five mile loop. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. But you can just go full rip on that trail. And it's got like elements of the tech of Gooseberry. So definitely some techie sections, but it's like a lot faster and flowier. And maybe there's a little bit less elevation there. I think maybe total it's 500 feet for the five miles or something like that and maybe it's about double that for uh for gooseberry that's just a guess but both really really good trails highly recommend wire mesa and for someone who's super beginner do wire mesa first and you'll have a good time and if you're like boy howdy i want more go ride gooseberry and if you're like boy fuck then don't go ride gooseberry yeah <laughs> and if you ride gooseberry and you're like that was fucking cool or that was easy uh then go ride grafton dh and and i talked to some I talked to some locals a while back on our trails and they were like asking me about trails. Like they were newer to mountain biking and just wanted to like pick my brain Mm -hmm. like mid ride. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's not far. Just go hike it. And he was like, what? And I was like, well, go, go hike the trail. I was like, you know, it's right here in town. I was like, you should always just like go for a quick hike, you know, one day after work. And if you're like, man, I really want to ride my mountain bike here then ride your mountain bike here the next day. And if you hike it after work, you're like, there's no fucking way I want to take my bike up there. 
then don't take your bike up there. I was like, but if you take your bike up there first and it sucks, then it sucks. But at least you could have a good hike first. And he's like, that's really smart. It's like, yeah, dude, I'm not stupid. Like, I look like I am, but I'm not. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But that's it. That's well, it for me. Cracking? That was just a, a weekend, two-day St. George trip. Super fun. Uh, bicycle was so, great until I crashed it. But other than that, still works great. Oh, I do have some feedback. I rode the ground control 2.35 tires there, and they are garbage on rocks. <laughs> you missed those recons. You think rec- it's the tread, or do you, you think You cheap it's the bitch. You should have bought those recons. I know. I know. I think in general, with my riding style and where I ride, I think that the Recon 2.6 is a better option, especially for that slightly heavier bike that I have that has a decent amount of suspension travel. The ground control is still a very good tire. It's still pretty grippy, but I just can't I can't run 2.35 tires anymore. There's just not enough air volume. Um, so it was the volume and not the tread that it, got you? It was both. I actually had a couple. Uh, most of the rocks out there are hero rocks. You can freaking side saddle these rocks to the point where like there's no way that my bicycle is not going to slide off of this rock and it just sticks like glue but the ground control is not so much and i don't know why it's size there's literally less tire on the ground it's got to be part of that and it's a really soft compound Uh, when i first put them on it was almost unrideable so they picked up so many small pieces of sand and rocks that I actually had to ride a significant portion of the ride with one hand and put the other one out front because I was getting hit in the face with all the rocks getting slung up by the tire. So for those who've ever ridden like sticky race car tires and you drive around like you do a track day and then you drive around in the pits, the your car sounds like it's going to fall apart because the tires are just hot and sticky and picking up every little piece of debris on the ground and flinging them into your fender wells. It's the same exact thing that these tires were doing. But anyway, didn't love them on the rock. So I don't think it's like a very good Moab style tire. It really wants to have like a little bit of dirt. Think extremely light loam. These things would be perfect. So anyway, I think it's probably more air volume and tire size than tread or rubber compound. That's my guess. I don't know if that's the case or not. I really, like I said before, I really wish they made the ground control in a 2.5 or a 2.6. I would 100% get that. But I've ridden a whole lot of St. George on my Levo with those 2.6 recons. And I think I rim-donged once in my life out there. And I rim-donged like six times out there on this tire with two more PSI in it. So, yeah, yeah, don't like it. And like when I rode out there with Jonathan Davis, he was running something stupid like DHS aggressor? No, no, something stupid the other way, like a recon race or something. He's like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter because the, the the knob doesn't do anything. You just need a tire that's got rubber on the ground, you know, like. I think that's true. And his tire, like, was just worn out, but it didn't <laughs> matter because it didn't need to grip. It didn't need knob traction. So I wonder if it's a combination of both. A smaller casing, so you have physically less tire, but then a larger, squirmier knob. Because the Recon is such a low knob, I feel like the the knob is both low in height, but large in footprint. And I feel like it doesn't squirm because of that. Does that make sense? Like, it's height to no, you're totally, base ratio you're 100% is squirm-free. Yeah, you're 100% correct there. And I think what happens is, even on a fresh Recon that has reasonably tall knobs, but definitely not deep, 
I think the tire still deforms and flexes so much that the actual like slick part of the carcass of the tire is also touching the rock along with the tread knobs. Whereas the ground control, maybe only the knobs are touching. That's it. Like the, yeah, the it's like ca- skating on the knob. Yeah, the casing of the tire doesn't like conform and grip. On my recons, you yeah. can actually tell I was starting to wear out the casing of the tire as it got lower. That's amazing. Anyway, um, so there's my tire review. Ground control, semi-okay. Needs more air volume. Not good in rocks. Speaking of skinny tires, I did look today at cross-country racing in my area. And it's really weird. There's Hot not- single cross-country racers in your area? Is that what you were <laughs> looking up? There's not a lot close to Salida. There's definitely a lot of cross-country racing in Colorado. Don't get me wrong there. There's a lot of endurance racing that's not too far away. But it's kind of hard to find just a straight-up cross-country race. And the best thing, and I definitely, there's some. There's like the GoPro games. It's a, a bigger one that I've done in the past that I absolutely hate. I hate the GoPro games. But... They have a single speed category that pays out, and it pays well. So I've done it two times. Might try to do it next year. I don't know. But I am definitely going to train like I want to race next year. There are some series races. in There's a Colorado Springs series, just kind of laid-back series races. There's one in Vail that's six or seven races. And then there's one in Summit County that's you know, five or six races, and they're all evening races, which would be kind of, I don't know, like kind of a pain in the ass to do because, you know, you drive two hours, you do a one-hour race, and then you drive two hours again, or you spend the night, and then maybe ride a little in the morning and drive two hours home, but I don't know. It's a lot of driving to do a little bit of racing, but I really want to race some. I really, really want uh, a short travel bike, I mean, I have my spot rocker, which would be a fine cross-country bike, but of course I I want a full suspension bike because they're just good. Um, so I am kind of keeping an eye out for a, you know, a good deal on something. If you're a shop and you have like last year's model you got too many of and you're trying to get rid of them, just let me know. Something like, you know, like the trail version of a cross-country bike, not a light-duty trail bike. But that's all. We should read off our uh, patrons. Alrighty, I'll do that now. All right, for patrons starting at $10 a month, we have Zach, Will, Tom, Ty, Scott, Sam, Ryan, Raymond, Phil, Yo, Wang, Phil, My, Wang, Parker, Nothing Worse Than a Todd, Nicole, Nick, Ben from Mountain Bike Radio, Michael, Leland, Kevin, Ken, Josh, Josh, Josephine Exotic, she likes casserole, Jeff, Jamie, Jake, Green Giant, ho, ho, ho. Gordon, G-Man, Frank, F That Guy, Mark Kligerman, Ezra, Trilla, G, Evan, Dylon, Clayton, Brian, Brad, Bill, Alec, AJ, Aaron. Then we have our Australian friends, Lead Out Sports, Josh, and Dean. At $20 a month, we have Troy, Six Pack Outdoors, Mike, Joe, Brady, Brad, Anthony, Affordable Trail Solutions. And at $30 a month, we have Harley. We appreciate everyone's support. And we did have a new patron from Dan... He sent a message when he joined. He said, I've been listening for years now, finally signing up to contribute solely because of Matt's explanation of the differences between metric units and freedom units. Cheers and keep up the great content. 
So thank you, Dan. Hot damn. Ain't that something. <laughs> we want to do listener questions. Do we have any new shit that we hate? No, I didn't look at bicycle media. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I haven't really looked either. I can look really quick. Yeah, we'll take a quick break. Why don't we do listener questions and I will talk so your voice doesn't continue to go <laughs> and try to exit your like body Darth through the Vader. side of your asshole. <laughs> I'm not seeing anything I like. Alchemy, ultralight, road gravel, and mountain bikes. I don't care. It's an alchemy. No one gives a shit. <laughs> I I just don't care. If you want an alchemy, you're going to buy it. If you don't want an alchemy, this bike isn't going to be compelling to you. Because Ooh. there is a new Scott Genius. We got a few of them in. It is, is it good? just like a big person spark with all the high D hole rear shocks. What's the travel on it? No idea. <laughs> but that's a bigger bike, 150 right? 150-ish. It's got to be 150 or 160 on the back, I would imagine. Okay. There's like no way yeah, yeah. it's less than 150. I'm guessing it's like a 160, 150 bike, but that's just an educated guess. Uh, it's, I think it's really ugly, and hopefully they fix the twin lock. That's about all I got to say about that. All right. But I like the old Genius. Well, the old Genius rode fine, so as long as they didn't sway too far on the Geo. I haven't even like ridden one around. I've seen a few of them that we got built up, but... Maybe I'll go spin it in the parking lot, and maybe it's fine, but mm, I don't know. All right. Well, let's just go into some listener questions then. All right. So Brian says, regarding the full suspension single speed question from the last couple episodes, I have a I have a perverse desire to cut up a bunch of cassettes to have 12 of the same cogs <laughs> on the rear with a fully functional rear derailleur. It should work. Is this wrong? <laughs> it won't work. Why not? Because of the uh, B-tension? The B-tension would be wrong. So you would have to set the B-tension to where it worked on like maybe one or three of the gears, but you wouldn't work. I mean, if you had a 12, well, and also I don't think you could do, you couldn't do a 12-speed. 11-speed would be the most you could do. Because a 12-speed NX cassette, the, the 12th cog is technically overhung like a cornice. Oh yeah. So well, the uh, only, eleven speed is the same way. You could use an eleven speed road free hub, and you could do it, mm. like on a DT Swiss. I, yeah, I guess. I'm not even following what this person is saying. They want to put. They want to take they twelve have, cassettes and take one of the sizes of. No, let me let me put this differently. They want to put twelve seventeen tooth cogs on their free hub and have a twelve speed. Drivetrain that offers one gear ratio. Oh, they want to keep shifting it. And yeah, so you would have a single speed. You would have a single. Yen, yen. Yeah, it would be a single speed, but it would be a twelve geared single speed. And they it would, would just, just all be the same size gears. And you would just get less chain wrap as you shifted to your that that yeah, yeah. that was gear. my concern. Okay. Yeah, like you would just, you know, you could set it to where it worked, and it would probably be around the middle of the cassette where the seventeen would normally be. But, you know, when you put it down to, like, the first cog or, like, the most outboard cog, it would get really weird and angry. When you put it on the probably the eighth cog, it would start getting really weird and angry, and it would start chain skipping and blowing over. So, yeah, that's – I mean, it's (laughs) definitely a thing. Try it and tell us how it works. Tell us that – I want you to do this and then let us know what happens and tell us that we're wrong. I want you to – 
install all this stuff, and on your first test ride, I want you to put it in the most inboard cog, and I want you to stand up and pedal as hard as you can. <laughs> Just see what happens. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, what's the next question? So this is a question from Bill Cahill from Instagram. Uh, hey, Jarek Root, long-time listener. Quick suspension question. I replaced my Tallboy 4 last year. Or no, yeah, wait. I replaced my Tallboy 4 with a Top Fuel 9.8 last year. Sid Select Plus, Sid Lux Ultimate Suspension. Happy with it from a traction perspective, but disappointed in that it's not nearly as lively as the Tallboy or as I expected. Anything I should do to make it more lively? Faster rebound? Move to high position? Question marks? Question marks? Uh, I don't know. What do you mean by lively? What do people mean when they say a bike is lively? I actually, I, I is... actually like don't know. Yeah, when people say stuff like poppy and lively, I, um, I don't really well, know what they're I, saying. I think I can describe it a bit. Like my YT is not a poppy bike. Um, meaning, if you want to jump the bike, you need to jump it. And I'm going somewhere with this. Um, or if there's something in the trail and you kind of want to like miss it, you need to just miss that thing. Um, the Rascal was a playful bike. If you were cruising down the trail and you like pump through a G out and you could kind of like bump off a route coming out of that G out and the bike really wanted to jump. Oh, like um, how I said the Mayhem 130 wants to be in the air. Yeah, or like if there was some little thing in the in the trail, you could kind of preload. Like let's say there's a, ro- a root or a rock sticking out and there's like flat trail preceding it. You could sort of like preload the bike into the flat trail and sort of bump over that root or rock and sort of jump it. Um, that's a very, to me, that's what lively means. Is Sure. I guess you, I'm more th- thinking, I'm more thinking technically what is causing the behavior that people are describing. Is that, a suspension thing? Is it a geometry thing? I think it's a more thing? progressive suspension. Is it a? Uh, is it like a a kinematics thing? Like how the suspension goes through its travel, or is it purely bike weight? Uh, I don't actually know what it is. Like surely well, geometry top- has something to do with it, but I would imagine that probably the thing that has more to do with it is the actual suspension characteristics itself and some of that stuff you may not be able to adjust out something i hear all the time is uh, and i don't know how accurate it is i could see it from just parking lot riding them i haven't ridden them a whole lot on trails other than my brother's bike but the fox x2 so they're big old burly air rear shock with the gigantor stanchion on it that thing just feels for lack of a better term like dead and the damping works. Like if you send that thing through a rock garden, it feels great, but it just lacks like something. And I can't really put my finger on what that is. So maybe that's what this person is describing. Is it ultra planted though? Would that be the other side of it? Yeah, I, I would say that it likes to err on the side of planted, but it's one of those weird things that even if you speed up the rebound, for example, crazy, crazy fast and maybe add like a lot of air pressure to it where you think it would live off the top, it, it just doesn't feel the same as a lot of other rear shocks. So yeah, I think it errs on the side of planted. But it's not even just that. It's like if you want to do just that, like boost off of a little thing in the trail, it just seems reluctant to do that, and I don't know why. So to me, that sounds like it's not so much a suspension setting, but more of the actual, like, how the damping circuit works. As in, 
you can when you set up that damping circuit to be correct it just ends up being slow in a certain part of that travel for example and you just can't tune that out because then it's wrong somewhere else right so i think it's maybe just how that thing is valved for lack of a better term i don't have a lot of experience with that sid lux I know that it's on the, there's a version of the Sid Lux that's on the, a lot of the Epic Evos. And I never just, I don't like the way that shock feels in general. So I guess a couple things, just thinking randomly here, you can't even buy Sid Lux service kits. You haven't been able to for the past two years. So maybe just get rid of that shock and get a Fox DPS and see if that feels more to your liking. But I hate to tell this person to buy another rear shock that's going to like solve their problem because it really might not. I don't. I don't think it is because my top fuel doesn't count. Sorry, but my fuel EX and my YT rode very similar. They're both modified single pivot bikes and they're both, they're both what I would call comfortable bikes. Meaning you can, with the 130 rear travel, you can stay in the saddle and like jam power into it and it just goes, but it, and you can jump those bikes. Don't get me wrong. I've had both of them in the air, butter buck, buttercup, but like you can, you can tell when you hop on something like a rascal. Uh, I think it's those multi-link like DW bikes are just more like my Yeti uh, SB130. You know, it's it's switch link, but that's still like a modified pivot bike. Sure, you know, it's yeah. a multi-link bike. Th- those bikes, I think, just have a little bit different feel, and I think those bikes are more progressive. Um, I really do. I think they're more progressive in terms of like the, the the suspension curve and then i think they're also heavier bikes and i don't know how that plays into it i don't every, know if the weight matters every trek i've ever ridden does feel very linear like to a fault that's just my perception i know that every slash and every fuel ex i've ridden feels linear to a fault like it just wallows in the mid part of the travel which is good for like eating up rock gardens going in a straight line, but maybe not good everywhere else. And that's kind of what I mean. Like the bike's good for like staying in the saddle and making power. I felt like the bike was great in that regard. You know, I did a 12 hour race on the bike and was far from last because it was just, it was chunky terrain, you know? Um, And I think that's why those bikes really, really like being locked out you know the spark is the same way it's a it's got a lockout the yt has a bar mounted lockout the trek i always wanted a bar mounted lockout for it those things are just i don't know how else to put it other than i think those single modified single pivot bikes just don't have the same ride feel and that doesn't make them wrong it just might not be what you like there's a reason baskin robbins has 31 flavors of ice cream (laughs) I think so. It sounds like we're coming back to more suspension kinematics than we are. Yes, either suspension settings or even valving. In my opinion, yes. Okay. Yeah, and I I think that you should play around with your suspension. I mean, I think Matt and Kenny are right, but you know, you just bought a new bike, and I mean, newish bike, and you probably don't want to fuck around with changing that. Or changing suspension or whatever. So play with your settings and see if you find something in your settings that you like. Get a little bit extreme with it. You know, go really fast on your rebound. Go with high pressure. Go with low pressure. Maybe you know, maybe try pe- to maybe try to make it more progressive using the air spring. Uh, like maybe yeah, throw some yeah, volume can... spacers in there and see what happens. I don't know. Yeah, uh, do, no. do that kind of stuff. But just play around with it and 
what I like to tell people sometimes is to go with a little bit more of an extreme setting. Like while you're trying to figure something like this out, go with a little bit too much of something or too little of something. Just just by a little. Don't take all the air out of your shock and bottom it out and break your fucking frame. Right, but don't adjust your rebound by one click and go, oh, that didn't solve it. Turn yeah, it fucking yeah. eight and be like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Then you'll be able to just tell smaller changes, you know? So play around with it and see if, you know, you can make it feel more like what you want it to feel like. And if not, I don't know. Sounds like you want a Mayhem 130. That thing fucking slaps. Well, thanks, Bill. There you have it. What's next? Holy shit. This is a long one. So this is from Mott. Mott underscore is underscore I. Thanks for the entertainment. I've been binge listening for the last two months when driving or mowing my lawn. (laughs) After a drive from Wisco to Louisiana, I'm finally caught up and all seems right with the world. Now for my question. I'd like to to stop you here real quick. I can also see, I could see somebody getting arrested for like a DUI on a riding lawnmower while they happen to be listening to our podcast, but go on. <laughs> I Yes. My lawyer has advised me not to discuss that ongoing case. <laughs> uh, when I store my bike for the winter, I pop my tires off the rims and clean out the sealant. This eliminates the dried up or dried on sealant goobers from forming during hibernation. Is this what you all do during extended downtime? I catch a lot of hell for doing it, but I can't be the only one, or can I? I think that's like that's a lot of motivation. I, that's uh, y- I haven't done that, but I don't think it's a bad idea. It, it depends. So usually what I'll do is if I'm not going to be riding a bike for a while, I just won't refresh the sealant. And it here in Colorado, it dries out so fast. It doesn't make, most of the time, it's not going to make that giant dried up puddle of sealant. So... You know, I it just I just let my tires at the end of the the summer they just kind of run out of sealant unless it's the bike that I ride the most often, which still runs out of sealant, but I put it back in. So I don't think that's a bad idea to somehow get rid of the sealant in your tires before they just sit for months at a time. Because yeah, I mean when you start riding them again, you're gonna get a heavy spot in your tire. It might be a little obnoxious. I think if you're using more than two to three paper towels per wheel and more than 45 seconds per wheel, once you have the tire de-beaded on one side, you know, like if you're if you're in there like toothbrushing and like scrubbing and using like a little inspection light, yeah, yeah, you're you doing do too that. much. But if you're just like pop the tire off the bead or pop the bead of the tire off the rim, wipe, wipe, throw that away, wipe, wipe throw that away, wipe, wipe, throw that away, or like save it to start wiping the next wheel, I think you're doing fine. And like if anybody tells you that you're doing it wrong, tell them that they can go to hell. Well, and, And also if you do want to save time on doing something like that, use orange seal sealant. That is, in my experience, the easiest. Once it's dry, it peels out like one big piece of rubber Whereas Stan... Is it going to dry out, though? Wisconsin winter, it's going to be like negative 22 in the garage (laughs) over winter. Well... With 79% humidity and 84% sadness. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, use use orange seal and you can peel it out before winter starts is what I was getting at. You know, you can, you know, pop your tire off, scoop out or soak up 
the sealant that you want to get out and then peel the inside of the tire pretty quickly. Whereas with stands, you're going to get a buildup of sealant particles on the inside of your tire and, you know, taking the time to scrub that out is, is a lot. That is a lot to do. All right. Second question. If you have time, Mont for you, we have time. So have any of you ever used a dumb trainer with Zwift or Trainer Road? Yes. I have a Cyclops Fluid 2 and would like to know how the experience compares to your Wahoo. Thanks for the entertaining podcast. Be safe, Mott. So I'm going to throw in a thing here because he didn't ask this, but Andrea's never used a dumb trainer without a power meter. Yeah. So with that in mind, now go ahead and answer. Yeah, I was using my gravel bike, I think. I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, when I first started using Trainer Road, I was using just, it, I think it was a Cyclops Fluid 2, pretty sure. It doesn't matter. I was using a, a decent rear wheel trainer. Using a tire, a trainer tire, I feel like makes a big difference in how well your trainer works because you don't have to crank the, the barrel down on your tire quite as much to get traction. Um, keeping good tire pressure, like pump your tire up every time or every other time you ride. Uh, I used a power meter. You can definitely go off of heart rate if you know your heart rate zones, but I would definitely recommend kind of researching heart rate zones before you do that. And just keep in mind that when you do shorter intervals, if you're going by heart rate, it's, it's not accurate for that. You know, if you watch how quickly it takes your heart rate to catch up to an effort, you know, if you are using a power meter or power-based trainer, you'll know that it's usually a couple minutes before your heart rate has caught up to whatever your effort is. So just keep that in mind. But yeah, you can definitely do that. I would definitely recommend a trainer tire and at least a heart rate monitor if you don't have a power meter. If I had to pick either smart trainer or power meter, just based on budget, I would go with the power meter because you can use it year-round. I've never done it. So, like, I've ridden a dumb trainer with a power meter. I've ridden dumb trainer, feedback roller-style trainer, and real rollers. But I've done all those just on, like, I'm going to go this hard. But I've never done a, uh, a trainer road or anything with it. So, Well, if you are in the market for a smart trainer, I would uh, imagine that one of the very It'll be very a great winner to buy one, one of the very very popular trainer brands is going to have those really really cheap because maybe there's a slightly new version out well i mean i don't know it sounds like kenny knows something i don't know anything but rei has smart trainers 20 to 25 percent off like we're going into trainer season with trainers on sale so we what I'm even... what I'm saying is even today, like Matt says, there's plenty of good deals to be had. Those deals are going to continue through Black Friday and probably even a little bit beyond that uh, for all this inventory to come down because everybody, all the big names, uh, overproduced smart trainers and so much so that Saris went out of business. Right. So it's a, it's a buyer's market out there, not just for trainers, for everything. All right. Well. That's all of our listener questions that we have. Does that do it? Are we done? I think we should just wrap it up. Sweet. Dave, Dave Chappelle, wrap it up, B. <laughs> all 
All right. Well, everyone, thank you for watching. And like I said, if you listening, watch, you weren't watching. Watching. Yeah. Listening, if you're watching it, you're doing it wrong. I close your. You know, if you're driving, close your eyes and imagine what we look like while we're talking to microphones. <laughs> oh my God! I'm gonna tell one. Or if you're mowing your lawn. I'm gonna tell one great story. One time, Andrea made dinner, and I was like, "Hey, do you mind if I get like super high?" And she's like, <laughs> "I don't care, whatever." And I ate like a bunch of edibles and I'm sitting there eating something like ramen. And I remember I'm just like real, I guess it was because I wasn't talking. She realized that I was just extra stony baloney and I'm just like staring at my ramen and just like going to town eating it. And then I realized there's no like other noises in the room. And I look up and she's leaned across the table, staring at me intently from like 10 inches away from my face. (laughs) Just like waiting for me to look up and see her. And I'm just like, oh, you spooky. And she's like, ah, I got you. (laughs) I don't even remember that. Yeah. And it was when we had that tiny table in Lakewood. You were like. So Matt was high as balls and remembers this. And I was probably sober or maybe had a glass of wine. And I have no idea that I ever did this. Exactly. <laughs> so right. when you close your eyes and imagine it, imagine Andrea staring at you from like 10 inches away, just like intently. Like a dog, like a, the way your dog stares when you're holding his favorite food and he's <laughs> not sure you're going to throw it or not. That's how she was staring at oh, me. Just Kenny, I have one more thing to ask you before we stop. Um, do you know, you know that meme that's really popular right now, the spirit Halloween, uh, like the costume in a bag that people are making fun of whatever stereotypes of people. Sure, I think I've seen that. What would be your costume and what would it have in the bag? Like what would be in the list of things that you would have? Oh my god, I know this one. Oh, should we just not ask for Kenny's input at all? <laughs> no, no, I, I can I tell think, you Yeah, you guys can go. I don't really have great any great ideas. Full face helmet. Well yeah. Izzy. Vodka. Recon two sixes. <laughs> Um, a rock to rub your brake pads on, not included, the green machine, a wrecked-ass Civic that burns some oil. <laughs> <laughs> or a dipstick with engine oil for your chain. I mean, am I wrong? Like, No, that's great. I like it. All right, cool. There you have it. All right. Well, if you are interested, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month, as always, and I will personally send you a link to our Slack channel where you can talk to other patrons. Yeah, and if you join, I can make fun of you directly rather than indirectly like we do here. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you for listening, and good night. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show.